forgotten how to operate the computer. No, I got it. It, it was uh, it it changed its default settings. When, yay! When I got the new version of the software that we use. That's why I never update software ever. I don't either. But then sometimes my computer eats itself. I fear change, and she'll keep my. Oh, what's the bushes? Bushes, yeah. These uh, are pants. Anyway, um, on that note, I fear change. I think we should talk today about change and what it means. Because we're two years into making a podcast, and it has changed drastically to the point that I frequently wonder whether it needs a new name. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That being said, like, that'd be so much work. <laughs> And we don't even do interviews anymore because it's too much work. It's exa- exactly. It'll just be one of those things that's anachronistic. Be like, li- why is it even called that? At one point, our podcast literally disappeared for a month that we didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> that's because we're professional, don't you know? Um, I, yeah, so it's been two years and a lot has changed. And so on that theme, I thought we could talk a little bit about the podcast because we seem to... We're now on the second annual Let's Talk About Making a Podcast on the Anniversary-ish yep, uh, episode. And also, since we started this podcast, uh, all of us have had pretty major changes in like what our job description is at its core. And so what it meant to like what it means to be an engineer for us. And since like that was kind of our thing at the beginning of the show was let's talk about what engineering is to you in your daily life. I thought it'd be interesting to talk about like the changes that have gone on in our lives and what that sort of means about being an engineer and having your role change drastically. I don't know. Is that something cool we could talk about? Oh, wow. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Work with me here, people. Yeah. Yeah. Usually we're a little more on point than that. I figured we were just going to like shoot the shit for an episode and talk about two years of podcasting, but we can get all like metaphysical and existential and stuff if you want. Well, I don't know. I'm just thinking that it is an interesting thing in terms of like what it means to be an engineer. Because there are people who have jobs as engineers where they sit down and they do the same job. It's like effectively the same job. They might be designing a different part or oh, doing yeah, okay. a different thing. Whereas like when I signed on, it was to write documentation and curriculum. And now I'm project managing and developing demos and debugging hardware and writing production like testing. <laughs> yeah. Doing, doing, doing <laughs> it. Like it's, I mean, that that's yeah. partially just being a small company, but that's yeah. a good point, though, because we've now had a podcast for as long as some people stay at a job. Yeah. And so it's a good point. Longer that, than yeah. some people, yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm into it. How about you, Abby? Are you in? Sure. I was going to say, because <laughs> Abby has recently gotten a new job, effectively. You're now yep. you're, you're, you're now scrumming it up, as it were. Yeah. I'm in charge. <laughs> how, how, how are you enjoying managing? I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um I said this earlier is uh, I've always had kind of opinions on the way that the particular project that I work on, uh, the direction that it's heading. And uh, now there's kind of like a 
direct workflow into how I can put my ideas into things and talking to other people about their ideas. And uh, I'm really enjoying that. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the concept of project management is kind of nebulous. I mean, like I am now technically project managing, but 90% of what I'm doing is just telling myself to do stuff because I don't actually manage <laughs> anybody else. So, I mean, like at least, at least like where you are in a, in a scrum process, you have a well-defined role in terms of like getting other people to do work. Um, so it's, 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 it, you're in more of a traditional like project or is it project or product management that you're doing? Product. Product, product owner. So what's the difference? There isn't really a difference. The, the difference in, is that a project manager typically is someone who is in charge of making decisions for a particular project. And it's nothing to do with Scrum or Agile. It's just if you're a project manager, you have a project that you manage. Hmm. If you're a product owner in a Scrum context, you are responsible for determining the contents of sprints. Oh, okay. So it's it's a very similar role, though, in terms of you're just like, this is what needs to get done Yeah, because Agile Scrum basically separates out management of people from management of a project from deciding what the actual project outcomes are going to be. Mm. So you have someone who's like a stakeholder who decides what they want the end result to be. Mm-hmm. You have developers who set their own uh, schedule and their own priorities and what they want to work on. And then you have the uh, scrum master who decides, make sure people don't screw up the process. And then you have the product owner who is Abby, who decides every given end of scrum, sorry, end of sprint, beginning of next sprint, what goes into that particular amount of time in terms of what the priorities are for what we're going to work on. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that like, Two years ago, Abby and I were hired, well, slightly over two years ago, were hired technically to the same role. And then we went two wildly different directions in terms of what we did. And now we've kind of ended up back in a somewhat similar role in terms of like managing a project or a product, although they're still wildly different in terms of like Abby's is a software project. Mine is I'm not even sure what kind of project. Yeah. So I think maybe the most useful outcome to the conversation would be for new engineers who are getting out into the workosphere or people who are thinking about maybe pursuing a new direction in engineering and want to know what happens when you get a job in that field. Maybe do you want to talk about like what the job was that you applied for and what your ideas were for what you were going to do? what you ended up doing short term and then how you got to where you are now in terms of the decisions you made and the the path you took from the context of this is why I went in this direction and this is what the opportunity was that I followed and this is why I'm doing what I do now. Those are some good rails you're lying down there. I like that. Yeah. Let's get this on the rails. Um, okay. Do you, I can start. So I applied to a engineering curriculum specialist role, which was... I think fairly intentionally vaguely defined when I applied for the job. It was more defined than the previous job posting that I didn't write, which <laughs> got like one respondent. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. So I, I signed on to essentially write curriculum for undergraduate engineering courses, um, a job for which I now realize I was completely unqualified. Um, but <laughs> I... I did what I've, I've heard referred to as borrowing from the future, which is sort of saying, yeah, I can totally do that and figuring things out as I went along. Um, Fake it until you make it. Yeah. Well, and just sort of like it's just in time learning is what I want to say. Well, I think also your background coming from systems 
prepared you for a nebulous, in, oh, yeah. like non-defined, like, like not undefined role, but vaguely defined role? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I I signed on to be a essentially a technical writer, I guess, um, which I was cool with. I wanted a change of, of venue. I'd been doing electrical design before. Um, and then slowly over the process of dealing with products a lot and dealing with people um, and starting to deal with customers, people in the company started to notice that I could talk to people, which is a skill that... <laughs> Like is not necessarily all universal within within engineers. Um, Some of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while may have noticed that Simon can <laughs> has words. Yes, I, I can make nice word sounds with my mouth hole. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I but also through just general gathering of knowledge about our products and how they work and learning how LabVIEW and whatnot work behind the scenes. Uh, eventually I started getting pulled into roles more and more where I needed to explain things to people in person. And, uh, that sort of led to what is now becoming my main role, which is, uh, handling interactions with major customers and, uh, major projects. So rollouts of large amounts of our products to big, uh, customers, big universities, and exciting things where you have to interact with lots of people and make sure cool things happen. And so that partially came from just building up my knowledge within the company, but also a willingness. And this would be if I was going to give someone a piece of advice for how to make a move like that would be um, a willingness to a talk to people and just have conversations, the willingness to make presentations and especially off the cuff. And uh, also a showing an interest in that kind of thing to management. There's, so, I, hmm? okay. so I have a follow-up question and a follow-up anecdote-ish. Okay. Not really anecdote, but we'll call it that. The follow-up question is, so what other potential directions could you have gone in that you chose not to? Well, I mean, if you are an engineer who can talk to people, uh, you will almost always be welcome in sales. Uh, like the more rigidly defined proper sales where you call people on the phone and get them to give you money. You've got a quota. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was not. Hello. <laughs> are you interested? Have you, are you feeling down about your prospects? <laughs> that's your joke, but that's really not that far off of no. the lot mark with some of it. But um, yeah, I didn't really want to get into like. You don't like the phone, don't you, Simon? I'm actually terrified of phones. So yeah, I'm really yeah. bad at that. Um I'm, but I'm good at talking to people face to face. So yeah, I didn't want to get into like traditional sales. I also didn't want to get too far away from the hardware. Like I really wanted to still be hands on with equipment and be like solving demo, like creating demos and coding things. So I didn't want to get too far into like the marketing side of like logistical planning and things like that. So those are directions you could definitely go if you are an engineer who has people skills. Um, and I also could have gone deeper into the documentation side of it. Like I could have gone more technical writer. Uh, I could have still kept doing what I was doing and worked my way up within the, like the more traditional curriculum role, which would have led me more towards what Pete's doing now, which would be just managing curriculum or, um, doing that side of things. So I could have gone that direction as well and that would have been fine, but I'm happy with where I am right now because it means that I get to do cool stuff with cool hardware and uh, also get to see things come to fruition in terms of seeing hardware get out the door and 
hopefully in the near future get it see it like a lab that I put together get used by students, which will be super exciting. And that's something I see on the horizon as being really, really cool. Nice. So an interesting thing I thought about, this is a different perspective on the same type of career trajectory. This may lead in a little bit into what Abby is going to be talking about as well. But it occurred to me when I, during review time last year that the trajectory that people typically follow, at least at this company, in terms of coming into the company to ending up somewhere is when you come up when you come into the company as a new hire you're responsible for part of probably uh, to a certain extent a pre-existing piece of something so mm-hmm. if you come in as a content developer you're responsible for either fixing existing content or creating new content as part of a project that someone else is responsible for yeah so you you write a couple labs or you fix a few labs and you fix some existing software you're not necessarily writing software from scratch you're, you're using existing components and you're kind of getting a feel for how they work together and you're responsible for delivering stuff but it's a part of a part of a part yeah um as you mature let's say <laughs> um your horizon expands a bit and you become responsible for the entire portion of a project, like all of the curriculum or all of the solutions and software for a project. Um, and then from there you expand a little bit more and you become responsible for potentially a project. Yeah. But it's also to a certain extent, the solutions you come up with have greater and greater impact to the point where if you come up with a really interesting way of doing software initially, that's really great for that project. Mm -hmm. But typically again, as the context grows, an approach you take for an entire collection of curriculum or an entire project could bleed into other projects as opposed to in, in terms of best practices and new ways of doing things and leveraging technology and stuff like that. So the, the impact is greater. Yeah. And then again, as you get, as you hang out for a while, um, <laughs> you, uh, you start to become responsible for setting policy for a department or setting um, goals and how strategies are going to come together for a department, not just for a project. So Hmm. you start to think about, okay, for the entire curriculum team, how are we going to approach this particular type of content? Like, how are we as a team going to move forward with how we do our jobs and stuff like that? Yeah. And then depending on, like you said, the direction you go in, maybe you end up being responsible for the people as well as the projects and the strategies and things like that. So. Yeah. Well, that's a sort of figure like when we get to like your, your path in the last couple of years is more sort of the traditional, like a business, you, you become what was your boss yeah. and then you become what was his boss. <laughs> and so far, so on the, on the chain until either you retire or become like the big boss. Yeah. Anyway, Abby, you want to talk about your, your Not little, journey? your journey? Sure over the year um yeah so i applied for the same position as simon did when i was a fresh fresh-faced young undergrad coming out of undergraduate studies bright-eyed and bushy-tailed um and so i applied for the same job as simon and they liked simon better um so they gave him the job but then (laughs) i also got a job but that's not how I remember it. <laughs> uh, not bitter or anything. I, I, from what I heard, from what I heard, they liked you better, but I, they had to give me a job. <laughs> um, so I was kind of I was hired alongside Simon around the same time for loosely the same role, um, and that all came crashing down about a week into my work. I guess um, I did kind of traditional training for people in our role, and then. Um, was kind of thrown onto a new project um, that no one had really 
worked on before in my capacity before and just kind of threw me on that. And over time, the team for that um, project changed pretty drastically. Because ever, everyone else quit and you were left as the only one who knew Yeah, that's anything. true. Almost everyone else uh, quit, not out of, you know, hate for the project, but because of other opportunities in their lives. Um, and we got, you know, some new people on board and um, we've been working with that new team for like a year and a half now and it's been really great. But I've just been kind of focused on this one project within our company, essentially from the very beginning. Um, kind of growing with it as it grew. And as I learned more about it, more kind of opinions formed as to what I thought should be done with it or what direction I thought it should be, uh, should kind of go in. And that kind of morphed in over time as we kind of found a need for kind of better defining how our work was being done, morphed into my now being the um, product owner for that project that we're at our company. But I'd say my tips for any sort of engineers who kind of want to follow a very similar trajectory is to um, not be afraid to voice your opinion. I definitely think I kind of trouble uh, struggled with that a little bit because um, I mean, of course, I, I'm working on this project for like you know every day for you know years or whatever. Of course, I had opinions on it, but it wasn't until probably later in the project that I felt like I could kind of divulge my opinions or, or what I thought should be happening or I was talking to these people and I think this is what, you know, we could do to more than just Pete, my direct boss. Because um, I just didn't maybe think my values or my opinions were valuable because of, I don't know, my status at the company or something. So I don't mean like, you know, yelling mm. it to all the coworkers and stuff, but just kind of in meetings, <laughs> just slipping in my opinion every once in a while. I'd say that definitely helps is is you are hired for a reason. So voice your opinions, voice your concerns. You know, I'm sure someone will appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And also, like, I, I think a big thing with, with you is don't underestimate your value within a mm -hmm. team, especially if it's something that you have intimate knowledge of. Yeah, if you have a unique perspective. Like mm -hmm. The reason why <clears throat> Abby became more and more uh invaluable to the project was because initially well throughout the project the the connection she had to a particular part of the project grew and no one else was there so we had a development team and the development team were doing development team things and abby was responsible for basically all of our customer experience our customer content how that whole like side of the project was going and so anything the development team did that impacted the customers or the content or how the content was created, they didn't have that perspective at all to, to a certain extent, or at mm -hmm. least they had ideas, but there wasn't there. So if the, if somebody implemented a particular feature and Abby was like, this doesn't make any sense. No one's going to use this. It's stupid. That was a very important like uh, viewpoint yeah. that was missing because it wasn't like Abby was saying, you don't know how to develop things. You should use a different database structure. That wasn't her like there was no conflict basically yeah. because it wasn't like I think we should do this database structure. You think we should do that database? It was like I think we should do buttons that are blue. And Abby's like, blue buttons are dumb. <laughs> but that was like she was the only one who had that responsibility for that part of the project. Mm. And so it, I think it helped grow your uh, potential to influence the project. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. It's interesting to me how completely unlike that like 
completely different from my journey. My journey was un, unhinged from any particular project. I jumped from project to project to project. Yeah, but again, you jumped around projects that you were specifically qualified for that no one else was either. That's true. Like you did electrical things because no one else knew how to do electrical things. But I didn't ride like one project through <laughs> no. to like all the way But up. again, if you were like, I don't think we should do, I don't think we should implement I squared C in this way because that's dumb. No one was going to be like, you're dumb. I don't know. Derek might have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there were there were other people who were had overlapping um, yeah. expertise. Again, you were you were niched enough that you were able to push back. Yeah. So is there is there another direction that you feel you could have gone, Abby, or that you thought about going? Or did you just sort of, was it just like riding the wave? Um, I could have probably branched out into other projects. Like I, I was... I, I believe I was hired to be to fill a very similar role as you did, Simon, initially. Um, but mm-hmm. I never really did anything that you did. We had very different paths. So <laughs> I possibly could have been a more traditional curriculum content writer. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It, it, I find that really interesting in that, like, walking in the door. I came out of undergrad with a whole bunch of user experience design uh, course under my belt <laughs> and immediately did no UX and Abby came out of electrical and while I was designing PCBs she was doing, doing UX <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I think the overarching thing I was trying to get at uh, just now which complements that as well was and I've heard this from other new engineers we have at the company I think a good key is to find a niche that you have an expertise in that doesn't overlap anyone else who could potentially like have a different opinions or other opinions from you. Like well, it, doesn't, become, it doesn't have to not overlap, yeah, but, but become, you have to be find a specialization that both makes you useful and contri- able to contribute, but also gives you a unique perspective. And then as long as you're happy with that niche and specialty, you can jump around, but at least from, from between different specialties that helps a lot. Like I know one of our junior engineers was saying like he's doubled down on our current project management software to be the guy who is responsible and knowledgeable for that software because no one else was. And that gives him a value. It gives him something he can say, like, I'm the guy to go to for this thing. Yeah. And that's where I live. That is that is definitely a good a good thing if you want to have job security. Although there is something to be said for making sure that people see the value in what you're doing with the tool or something, not the value of the tool and therefore your value as attached to that. Sure. Cause like, like Abby, if, if the project she was working on right now, like crashed and burned, it wouldn't be like, like, Oh, Abby's no longer valuable. Bye. I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like, I say like, no, what I'm trying not. to say is like you you want to make sure that that people are seeing the the work you're doing yeah. with that so that they see the value of the you work. You don't want to get pigeonholed. Yeah. You, you want to make sure that your value is in what you've brought to that project, not in the fact that you're attached to that project. Yeah, you you want to use that both as a mechanism to have a particular viewpoint, but also to build generic skills that allow you to. Like, like, for instance, you can be a specialty in a project management software platform, but also use that to become someone who is a go-to as giving direction to how projects are managed. Well, and like, that gives you a broader... As, a, as actually a really good example, I have done lots of what I think is really good work on, pro- on products that absolutely flopped. Like, <laughs> they, the products have barely made back probably the money it costs to pay me to write the curriculum for it. But... 
the value there was in what I did for that project, even if the project itself was not terribly successful. Yeah. And that, so like that decoupling that is important. And also, I mean, that's sort of different because good products fail all the time. Like they, they were good products. They just didn't work in the market. Yeah. But, but it's, it's like the key is in doing like doing good work and doing like yeah. doing your best work and being known to be doing good work Yeah, so that it's independent of what happens in the long run. There's still people who say, okay, yeah, you, you did a good job there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Pete, you want to talk about, you, you've got the most sort of traditional flow of more or less. I think, I think the reason why I was talking about that earlier thing, which I'll touch on as well is because my trajectory was loosely coupled to a bunch of bandwagons I jumped on. <laughs> so I got, I got, tell I, us about your bandwagons. <laughs> I got hired as a curriculum developer back when that's what we were called. Mm, um, before we were specialists, before we were specialists. Yeah. <laughs> I was just a lowly developer. And I got hired for the most traditional kind of job where I was literally brought in to develop curriculum for our products. And that's what I did for years. Mm-hmm. I sat in my corner and I wrote LaTeX. I was going to say, you, you, you <laughs> did that job longer than we've worked at the company yeah. before, before <laughs> you changed gears. But so. one thing I did was initially very, very quickly after getting hired, like maybe a month into the job, I got brought in to a weird harebrained side project which was a driving simulator for teaching control systems to students with like 3d graphics and stuff i remember that And i was like that's cool i want to be a part of that thing Mm -hmm. and so the next day the guy who had developed it called me and for an hour and a half detailed all the stuff that he'd done Mm. and was like there you go have fun (laughs) then it was mine (laughs) that that is that is actually a good point. Is like don't be afraid to like <laughs> jump in with both feet for yeah. some stuff because that so, will make a big difference. Yeah. So I slowly figured out how it worked and then was able to make changes to it and eventually got to the point where I understood enough to be able to use it to build other examples and other ways to use it. And I went at one point every two weeks for an entire year to different conferences and locations to um, set up different demos and to show it to different universities and stuff like that. So I ended up doing a lot of sales and travel and again, starting to branch into other parts of marketing and sales Mm -hmm. because again, I knew how to talk to folks and that put on that kind of different perspective and different hat and then fell back. And once that sort of like reached the end of its project life, I took on a large project for curriculum, which again was a different experience because it was like not just doing some content, but here's, I think at that point it was 12 products and it was full curriculum for all of them. It's a um, lot of products. Yeah, it was fun times. So that was that sort of like went f- through that kind of cycle. But again, I because I'd had that experience, I was going to a lot more trade shows and going to a lot of sales related things like commissioning um, products at different universities and stuff like that because I dipped my toe into that particular aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, I think the key turning point was my boss left and went to a different job um, within the company, but he switched roles. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for a year... I was my entire department, even though I wasn't a manager. So I just was like, <laughs> I was the the curriculum guy yep. in the department. And then we eventually hired a second developer. And so I got to become a manager of him. But again, we were still doing traditional curriculum things. Mm-hmm. And then I think around the end of his term at the company, which was around when Abby and Simon got hired, um, during my review at one point, I'd like I'd seen the the driving simulator come and go Mm -hmm. and there'd been other projects that had come and gone in terms of things we were working on new exciting um adventures and how we were doing different types of teaching but i saw this project that abby's working on coming Mm -hmm. 
and it was really cool. So I told my boss like, Hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to be, I want, actually, no, in the meantime, I, I wrote some websites, which was sort of the intermediary projects as well. <laughs> Dabbled in web development for a while. Yeah, because it was the same sort of thing. It was like, man, it would be really great if we had this website. And I was like, well, I've done web development. I could, I guess, do that. Yeah. And so that became a thing that I did. So I, I sort of, yeah, did some other side projects that built some skills and were delivered and sort of helped the company with different things. But then I saw that big project that is working on coming and I was like, I want to be a part of that. So I told my boss my review, I want to be a part of that project. Mm -hmm. And so I started out just playing around with the platform and doing some casual stuff and seeing how it worked. And then basically uh, when Abby came on board, I was like, I think she should do this. (laughs) Because to be honest, it was all a big ploy. To be honest, I knew that project (laughs) would be around for a while and I wanted us to keep her around. Mm. So I attached her to it so that she she would become invaluable. That's some machinations you got going on there. And I can never leave. (laughs) (laughs) But moreover, it was because it was like that was a thing that was coming. And yeah, I I wanted to jump on that. So now you're you're a full time manager. So when the team left that project, I was the one who was left as having expressed an interest in it. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I took over that project as well. So now I do basically the I guess the part of the trajectory I didn't talk about was becoming a manager and what that did, which was slowly over time but especially once our team started to grow i no longer did development anymore like that that is the one the thing i think that you could bring like in this conversation that people might find really interesting is that until recently i was sort of of the mind that eventually i'd want to get into engineering management and now i'm not sure that that is the direction that i would want to go not necessarily because i think it's bad but just because like i don't necessarily think it's suited to me Mm -hmm. so how did you make that decision of like okay yeah i could manage people and and that's something that i could do well and i would be interested in doing i think it's the same reason why you make a decision that i want to be able to i want to teach people it's the same thing. It's like I want to do something that doesn't necessarily benefit myself. Hmm. Because I don't think I don't think being a manager helps you. I think being a good manager helps the team and helps the company and helps everyone. But you, you, like I don't think I get anything. That's a wrong. Th- I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel necessarily like I get anything out of being a manager. Hmm. I think the company does, and I, I do because there's like again, it's the same as teaching. You get a sense of fulfillment, a sense yeah. of every, the 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 team is succeeding because of the, the things that we've done together. And I don't know if that's just my particular style. I think a lot of what I do, which I talked to again in review time about was I think the best thing I can do is basically almost like be a facilitator, like get to the point where I do all of the bullshit that I don't want anyone else doing. Cause it would just be a waste of time. Yeah. So like everything I'd like to run a team where everyone does what they should be doing and what they're good at. And all the rest of the shit that's hanging around, I'll do because someone has to do it, and that way everyone else can focus. Yeah. So that's the, that's that's what you think the mentality your mentality should be if you think you want to get into management, be willing to be the uh, yeah be the 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 punching bag for the. Students I know that's not stuff. how other people manage, but no, I think that's like yeah. If someone has to read seventeen pages on tax policy that seems like a waste of time for people who have actual skills, but <laughs> I might as well do it. <laughs> someone has to do it. And yeah. I don't feel like delegating it to someone else whose time is better spent doing other things. So, yeah. So I think that's like, like that's probably like, we've got three completely different trajectories. You got one, you, you sort of did the, the, the move up 
roughly like you got some lateral steps, Pete, obviously getting involved with, uh, with the, the mobile platforms and all that. But like, generally speaking, it's, you move up into management and you manage people. Yeah. Like what, like manage people who are doing the job you used to do. The other thing I didn't mention, sorry, before you, before you go on was, yeah. um, gain as many skills as possible that you think you are interested in knowing about. So like, not only did I start and do the curriculum skills, like the software packages we use and the, development language we use for code sorry mm. for uh for writing but i got to know how to do 3d modeling i got to know how to do 3d printing i got to know how to do yeah hardcore web development with frameworks i hadn't used before i got to know how to do all of the stuff we do with version control and continuous integration and like all the software stack that i hadn't had experience with and basically i was constantly trying to find out how different parts of the company worked and how their software worked and what they did with them and Actually, so that's, that's a really good a, point. A bunch mm-hmm. of stuff that like never really was part of what I was hired to do. Yeah. I was uh, just like, oh, SolidWorks. Can I use SolidWorks for three months? Cool. Oh, hey, web development. Can I learn seven different frameworks I haven't used before? Cool. And like, yeah. There's uh, You hit on something there that I'd like to mention as well that uh, was a skill set that I didn't think I would need coming into the job that I've built up is a grasp of how the business works. Mm. If you want to move up in a company one of the best things you can do is get a really good understanding of how the company itself works. Like what is the company actually doing beyond you're just like, if you're happy to just sit in your work in your little group and do what you're good at, like more power to you. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying if you want to move up out of a group you're in or move laterally or you're, you're just going to get closer and closer to money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, but that, that there is something yeah. like I wouldn't, Going into my job right at the beginning, I would not have expected that an understanding of how the money side of the business worked would be important. And it has become very important to what I'm doing right now because like the check, like the balances of value Mm -hmm. for projects I'm working on are actually, you need to understand where we're making our money and how. Um, And that's interestingly enough, one of the main things that I now notice looking back when we hire new people, like people will come in. And like you said, they're excited. They want to do some fun stuff. They're just like, oh, man, it would be great if we did this and we could do this. And people think it was awesome because we could do this sort of stuff. And I'm like, and like for the first time, I'm just like, oh, we could never sell that. Yeah, we, could we couldn't make build it money, effectively. Yeah. Like our, our cogs would be too high. Like you have that check sitting in the back of your mind now where you're, where you're just like immediately, hmm, that's not going to, that's going to be too expensive and we can't productionize that. And like you have all those. Once, once, once you yeah. learn what COGS stands for, yeah. you've, you've opened your eyes to a whole new world. Yeah. You can never go back. Uh, cost, cost of goods and services. Yeah. Okay, good. I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and how, right. mu- how much, it, how much it costs to make a thing. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, so that's, it's interesting because that in, in some way is key to all the directions we've moved. Like you've moved up in the company because you're learning how, like you've learned how things work behind the scenes or the next step up, like how we manage people, how, how things get done. Like I'm learning how we sell things, how we take our products and make them into something that people want to buy. And, and Abby is learning, okay, how can we take something that is completely sort of tangential to what we've done before and make it part of our company brand and make it part of uh, what we do as a company and ensure that when we've made it, it's actually useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think that's kind of a, a unifying thing is getting a real understanding for what your company, or if you're working for like Google, what your like project group, like a large scale group is doing, like we're at a small company. So there's something that makes it's a lot easier to do that kind of crazy diagonal, uh, job trajectory 
just because a company's growing and there's lots of opportunities to move into opening niches. Um, but I think that could be true of project groups at companies and as things grow and change at larger companies as well. Um, but it comes to, it comes into having sort of like broadening your horizons and understanding where you could go and what could get, what you could be, how you could be useful to the company and what opportunities that might avail to you. Mm -hmm. Do we want to spend a few minutes just talking about where we are with the podcast? Sure. Since we, that was something you wanted to talk about. One thing Pete was saying is that he's tired of the ancient history episodes, which we haven't got, we haven't done in a while. I'm not tired of them. It just feels like we're having more and more trouble coming up with ideas for what to do with them. I know. I, I, en I enjoy the brain engineering concept. I, yeah. I liked the being in the past part, but I think that I'd be just as happy doing, like you were talking about doing like speculative fiction talking. Yeah. I, I, I was talking about switching it to the be the future, um, hmm. which bleeds into sci-fi basically. I enjoy that conversation. I think we could do an episode or two on that. Yeah. Just to spice it. Because the whole point was it was supposed to be a fun exercise in the first place. And now it seems like it's getting to the point where we're like, okay, so if we should, we should probably do a history episode. What are we going to do? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll like invent a way to have dog food dispensed from the rocks. <laughs> it's a bad example. But <laughs> we might be able to do it. What you've just had is a glimpse into the creative <laughs> process that goes behind this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we just say random words and eventually what some of them are hey that'd be a podcast <laughs> yeah so we're right now we are at a point where we just sort of get together every two or three weeks and talk about a thing that we feel like talking about and if that is something that's cool then we'll keep doing that um we're going to try and come up with some other interesting stuff we want to do um but uh yeah if you got some input we'd be happy to hear it we're at a nice uh Nice round, two years. Mm -hmm. It was what, two years ago was, was Saf One's episode? Last week, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I only, I only remember because we, I remember we did the Halloween episode right near the very beginning. Um, I forgot about the Halloween episode. Me too. Yeah. Back, back when we were trying to be all like exciting and <laughs> we're going to do something different this week. Yeah. Hopefully people are still excited about what we're doing. I mean, we've done, a, we've done 78 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. Considering if we had... Yeah. No, I, I, that's a lot of material to have put together when you like put it all end to end. Yeah. Especially in terms of time. Like, I think at one point I, even like a year or year and a half ago, we were already up to like over a hundred hours of audio. I was gonna say it would take you a solid like three or four days to listen to all of our podcasts end to end. If you just did only that. I think people have, we've had, we've had people tell us they have really, which is impressive. I'm not sure even I could do that. I'd get so sick of my own voice. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and like, we really appreciate the people who still listen, who have, you know, given us their time and gone through the ups and downs of, I think most of the time we're happy with what we create, but sometimes there are, there are highlights and, and slightly dimmer lights and we really appreciate <laughs> people sticking with it and, uh, and tuning in and rating us on iTunes and all that kind of good stuff. Has anyone actually rate other than my mom? Has anyone rated us on iTunes? That's a good question. <laughs> Still appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> all right. iTunes is really hard to rate people on. I've discovered. Yeah. I, there really needs to be a simpler way to do this. I don't know how, like, I don't know how the podcast market actually works. I feel like if we wanted to be really popular at being podcasters, we should know better how like the podcast marketplace works. First but of all, I'd have to give a shit about Twitter, but that's true. Yeah. Part of the problem is that we're not doing this because we want to be popular at no. podcasting. I mean, 
on that note, though, before we get off of Twitter, um, we had a nice note from Heiko Darb on Twitter at Heiko Darb. Sorry. And uh, he mentioned on the context of history episodes that back when we talked about water systems in Roman times on our history episode, we didn't mention aqueducts, yeah. which seems like an oversight. I'm pretty sure at the time That's probably I thought about deal. aqueducts, but my impression, like when I think about an aqueduct, I think about like the outside air, the big overhead bridge, ones, like yeah. overhead aqueduct yeah. systems. And they seemed like they probably weren't necessarily sanitary because mm. my impression was based on like playing video games and watching anime. They're just like people walking in them all the time. Yeah. The, and also that like, they're not closed in. They're just like basically a concrete stream. Right? Yeah. Um, be like, but apparently after I actually did research and that's sort of the point of this was when we did history episodes, we don't actually do any research. So nope. we don't know what we're talking about. That's kind of the point. Um, they were mostly underground and closed in piping systems. I guess that makes sense. I mean, aqueduct just means like a path for water. So yeah. it could be anywhere. So they'd absolutely could have been a way to do exactly what we're talking about. And he had a good suggestion, which was we could also have used them to easily put messages in bottles and transport them that way as well for doing communication. Man, that so, would also have been a good idea. Yeah. So it yeah. would, it would, I think I think we mentioned the like the like pneumatic tube we did, system, but not so, in the context of potable water. Of yeah. oh, that would have been good. Yeah. So I mean, I we do appreciate people who give us suggestions, and yeah, we I like that sometimes what we talk about resonates and mm-hmm. people enjoy it, and every time we get a nice email, it, it brightens my day. Yeah. So um, yeah, hopefully people are still enjoying what we're doing, and we're gonna keep doing it whenever we feel like it for as long as we feel like it keep keep uh keep vamping because i had one other shout out i wanted to do but i got it when i was in costa rica so i don't have it queued up but it was really nice do do i i I don't know (laughs) i know abby would judge me but she would judge me with like silent stares into the ether which we can't see so I'm, i'm experiencing something now i want to share um, I was listening to another great podcast yesterday, um, the wheel bearings podcast. And at one point they had a similar type of long drawn out vamping with some periods of dead silence where they were trying to find a message that they'd had on Facebook mm-hmm. and a conversation they'd had about uh, someone suggesting a question they should answer yep. and couldn't find it. And guess what I can't do right now? You can't find, find a message that we got on Facebook. So am I going to, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to record right now a message that I'm going to insert about five minutes ago being like, you can stop listening now. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think we're okay, going to get kicked out. No, it's Andrew Fisher on, on Facebook had some really great feedback for us and is about to begin his career as a mechatronics engineer. So kudos to him and uh, thanks for reaching out. Yay. Awesome. Good job getting to mechatronics. All right. Let's get the hell out of here. All right. Peace out. This episode was brought to you by chocolate covered coffee beans, which is why I'm slightly hyper right now. <laughs>